Welcome to the Well Podcast, where we hope to apply faith to life. We are four brothers and pastors. I am Sam. John Huang. John Yin. David Moon. And we are here to have a conversation we hope will be engaging, encouraging, and equipping for our church. Pastor David, how has the apologetics course been? Oh, it has been uh, really, really fun. Uh, the first three classes were very heavy on philosophy, uh, but we came to an agreement that scripture must be the foundation of everything that we do. And now we're just having fun applying scripture, applying uh, uh, everything that we know of God's word to fun issues like, well, contentious it could be as well, um, politics or social justice or sexuality, last class, and culture in general, movies, um, and questions about dating and sexuality. Well, so it was really fun just applying God's word, but also with the confidence knowing that it's God's word. And uh, I've, I'm hoping that uh, the people are enjoying it as much as I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your purpose and goal uh, from this apologetics course? Mm. Uh, the purpose and goal I um, uh, stated at the very beginning of this course, uh, it's uh, for people to be consistent and confident. Uh, consistency meaning that... Uh, 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 the way that a Christian thinks, acts, and then uh, sees the, the world, the reality around him, needs to be an overflow um, of his ontology, uh, words like that. And the actions that he does needs to be an overflow uh, of that as well. And so every area of our lives must be permeated by a consistent theology. And I'll probably t- take that aspect of you know, talking about uh, dating today, which is our topic, uh, also, I would look for I would look for a uh, consistency there, and the other part was confidence. Um, I want people to be Christians to be confident that the Word of God is sufficient uh, in making daily decisions and knowing how to live their lives. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I I hope uh, for the next time. When is this going to occur? The next time, if we miss this one, mm-hmm. uh, I believe fall of next year uh, would be a good candidate because um, I do want all of our pastors uh, to have a quick season of going through uh, uh, their own expertise and what they've studied, and just adding to the diversity of the church. And so, um, hopefully, next year we'll kick off. Uh, this time around, it was ten classes. Next time. I might have about 15 weeks of, of material, uh, so five more things that people have pointed out, and it's been a very interactive process where I'm noticing that people want to talk more about certain things rather than other things, and that will be included in uh, next year's curriculum. <laughs> That's great. And, just, oh. Oh, sorry, and, and you'll notice like the material is not available online right now. And one big reason for that is not that I, I don't want my people to be um, the, in the church to be informed, but it's because I want a relationship out of this class. And so uh, what if you come here and talk about this material on uh, uh, in, in the presence of the community, I think that's just a really good way to do apologetics and also to do Bible studies. Uh, it's in direct relationship with other people and not in a vacuum. Uh, so that's why it hasn't been made uh, um, uh, available for uh, the general public or online. Uh, my apologies if that has um, been an uh, uncom- if that has been uncomfortable for you because you couldn't make it out to Tuesday, um, but that's the reasoning. Yeah, I hope. Uh, yeah, I, I personally I would love to. I, I think just because of conflict schedule, I couldn't get to attend this class. But I would love to hear and just get a uh, yeah really be equipped and learning how to apply apologetics in our daily living. Amen. <laughs> Today our topic uh, we're going to talk about dating. And it's certainly a big topic, uh, certainly something that 
all of us think about, some of us struggle, some of us think through. Uh, for, the, uh, for those of us who are married, uh, some things that some words of advice or wisdoms that we share to those who are single or, or younger. And so I think we want to definitely approach uh, dating and, and think, a bit, think of it more biblically and have a conversation that we hope can really equip and uh, really engage our church in how to approach uh, dating. And so, but first, let's start off. What is dating? Does the Bible address dating at all? What do you guys first think? Just to be precise, we're fencing off uh, marriage right today, right? Yes. Just going to be dating, right? Just dating. Okay, okay. Good to know. <laughs> we'll talk about marriage some other time, for sure. <laughs> well, I think it's hard to talk about dating without talking about marriage. Um, and that dating, hopefully, is a... Um, you know, step towards marriage. Uh, I think, I think, for the most part, most people date for the for that reason. Uh, but to answer your question, no, I don't think the Bible really talks about dating. Um, I think uh, it talks a lot about marriage, uh, singleness, and marriage, but everything in between seems to be somewhat silent. Um, and so that's what I've noticed. Um, from my understanding of scripture. Yeah. I, I think this topic is totally worth talking about um, because although scripture might not have accurate or comprehensive prescriptions on how to do it, uh, scripture does have some very basic and general ideas about uh, what human beings should live for, how they create communities, how we interact with each other, and what the purpose of a marriage is, uh, where dating is, um, is heading towards that. Uh, and so I think dating, you can construe a consistent theology uh, around uh, the spheres of morality that scripture has set out. And so I think that would be just a really wonderful practice. That's, wh that's why dating, you don't hear a lot of biblical theology about it. Like people aren't exegeting too much out of scripture to talk about dating, but they do a lot of systematic theology and they combine areas of ethics and morality and relationships. Uh, and I think this will be a really fun exercise for us is that we get to see glimpses of each other's, you know, systematic theology. So yeah. uh, that, that'll be fun, definitely. <laughs> so starting off, what is the purpose of dating? What is the purpose of it? And is there such a thing as biblical dating? I'm sure we've heard this term thrown out, biblical dating. How do you date biblically? And so if the Bible doesn't address it, well, how can we understand biblical dating? I, I think the purpose of dating uh, naturally ties in itself into the purpose of the individual um, according to a biblical anthropology uh, what do we need to strive for as an individual human being that will necessarily show and and manifest itself in the way that we date other people uh, one of the things that we do obviously there's a lot of verses that apply to this won't be uh, you know whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do you do it for the glory of god dating should be pursued in uh, for the glory of god uh, that should be one huge purpose as we date and so necessarily that uh, sequesters off a lot of inappropriate behavior, uh, ways that we think of uh, uh, the person that we're dating. And uh, honor is seems to be the default mode between people who are engaging in a romantic relationship. Uh, mutual honoring, uh, just as we see in the Trinitarian relationship, uh, self-sacrificial but mutually honoring, um, that kind of mentality seems to be the foundation uh, for dating, that that would be a good purpose to glorify God by exhibiting His nature and His goodness. 
And uh, I, mean, I guess we'll talk about this further, but it really goes contrary to modern notions about dating because today, contemporary, like secular dating is all about um, having my needs fulfilled. And uh, biblical dating, I think, is almost the opposite of that, is uh, uh, exemplifying Christ in your most intimate relationships, um, including dating and marriage. So uh, I, I think that the purpose of humanity must be revealed in dating as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think you know, my follow-up question was going to be, what's the difference between biblical dating and just what is non-biblical dating in mm -hmm. a certain sense? Mm -hmm. But I think one way I like to think of it is that uh, I think some of us, or I think sometimes when it comes to dating, it's more like shopping and it's about finding the right person and trying to figure out who's most compatible with me. But I think one pastoral advice that I like to share with people when it comes to dating is not necessarily about finding the right person, but being the right person. Mm -hmm. How can I be faithful to that person? And so it's not finding the one, <laughs> but being the one. Mm -hmm. And I think much of biblical dating is about your own character. How, what is your relationship with the Lord? And are you walking with God foremost? Mm -hmm. Certainly is the other person walking with the Lord too. Mm -hmm. But before we talk about the other person, let's talk about you. Yeah. Where are you in God? Where are you in your faith? And how are you doing in your uh, just with your walk with the Lord. And I think that's where, for me, biblical dating begins first. Me as the sinner, am I a sinner saved by grace? Am I really knowing God in my life? Am I really a genuine maturing Christian, not a fully matured Christian, but a maturing Christian, not perfect, but certainly the right direction in our faith walk. And so that's one of the things that I would like to distinguish as biblical dating. It's not about compatibility. As we talk about marriage, it's not about compatibility, but about commitment. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can make a commitment is understanding that the Lord has made a commitment to us to be our Lord and Savior. And although we are totally incapable with the Lord, and yet He continues to be faithful unto us. And so it's a more about uh, who am I being rather than mm -hmm. who am I finding. But that's really difficult, especially in a time where like Tinder and a lot of these dating apps, mm -hmm. uh, it's even more so about finding the right person because now our options are so much. Although I've never used these apps before. I've no, I don't know what these apps look like. But you know, just understanding the premise of it, swipe right, swipe, swipe left, and we can just go through uh, just like this a myriad of people that we can kind of like look through and see their photos and try, try, you know, making these judgment calls. What do you call that? The, uh, I know you use it in a different sense, but like, an Insta like we look at the news and we're, we make these judgment calls immediately on, uh, on news articles and uh, like, doom, like profiling? doomsday scrolling, I think. What, what you oh, call doom it? scrolling. Yeah, yeah doom, doom scrolling. scrolling. Yeah. In a certain sense, it's like that for people now. Yeah, We're yeah, judging yeah. people based on a few snippets of their life when there's, there's so much more, right? There are images of God. And I feel that's one of the dangers, I think, of Tinder and a lot of these uh, dating apps. Just one recent fun example. Um, so a dating profile, a person scrolling through it, and then uh, it's like, okay, gender, male, okay, that's good. Uh, uh, and then... Uh, you know, uh, beliefs, you know, like conservative political, like, uh, okay, that's good. And then uh, this person also identified as a Christian. Okay, that's good. Check, check, check. And then goes down like, uh, like 20 more features. And then uh, at the last part, it's like, you know, Star Trek versus Star Wars. And this guy chose Star Wars. And this girl was like, I'm not having that. <laughs> and, and so like, through culture and through technology, we're able to like, hone in on the most minute details of another person's life and say, whether that's compatible to me is is ultimately how I find a dating experience, and uh, that's I don't I believe uh, not really biblical in the sense that uh, sometimes the person that God introduces you to will be someone that changes you the most. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just want to clarify um, that it's not I'm not uh, saying it's 
uh, sinful to use Tinder or these apps, and which we'll, I think we, we do we'll need talk to talk about. about. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's just uh, this culture of uh, just more options, and it's mm-hmm. in a certain sense creating this choice paralysis mm-hmm. now, and uh, it's about finding the right person. And, and now it's just the world's approach, but mm-hmm. I think one of the biblical principles is being the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to uh, give a little pushback um, in that I do believe certain uh, compatibility is important. Uh, we're not saying um, compa- like there needs to, like compatibility does not matter at all. Um, in that, ultimately, compatibility in the sense of the secondary issues and a lot of just preferential things uh, are yeah are secondary and doesn't ultimately doesn't really matter. It's ultimately about commitment. Uh, for the sake of marriage. Uh, but I think compatibility in the sense of do not be unequally yoked, mm-hmm. that on the ultimate things, what we you know, ultimately live for, and hence, you know, Sam talked about, hey, we need to begin with who we are, where we are in Christ. And does that line up, agree? Uh, are we going the similar direction towards Christ? Uh, right? And so in that sense, on the fundamental level, we need to be compatible. Mm. Um, I would dare I even say, uh, even on a theological level, certain the- certain theological level, like things like even uh, do I, I I don't know if ch- our church people really think about these things or not. Are we about baptizing our kids or not? And so, even those things, there are certain couples that could disagree on those mm-hmm. on those theological, you know, level mm-hmm. where we need you know they need to talk about. Hey, do we agree on this? Can we uh, still, you know, be in partnership towards the same goal, towards Christ, towards the glory of God, um, while you know maintaining these certain differences? Yeah, and so I, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that because I think a big topic we do need to talk about is is it permissible for Christians to date to date non-believers, which mm-hmm. is a really big topic That's to talk, talk about. about so, yeah. yeah, I mean, Scripture does seem to kick that off by saying, you know, if you're in Christ then uh, there's no Greek nor Jew, there's no slave nor free, there's no, um, uh, I forgot the other distinction. <laughs> um, but in Christ, there seems to be a, a breaking down a lot of the things that we measure compatibility based upon because being in Christ is the ultimate indicator of spiritual fellowship and compatibility in that sense. And so what Pastor John talks about, unity in the primary is so important because that's the foundation of how you view humanity, how you view um, your theology, how you view your life. So we would say that um, unity in Christ should be a very stable foundation for any dating relationship. I don't think there's anything wrong with being attracted to a particular person either. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's primarily why people pursue relationships, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. attraction. Uh, but yes, on the most, yeah, so you can, you know, you can like someone's face and their, you know, their physique and their personality and their, you know, whatever, right? Whatever you are attracted about them. But I think on the most fundamental level, as Christians, when we're talking about biblical dating, our attraction towards one another is ultimately uh, centered around, based upon our love for Christ and our commitment to Christ and our obedience to him and our worship of Jesus. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just start off with uh, what I heard recently is um, there's a pastor uh, that I think we all mutually know. 
uh, he uh, will marry believers to believers, and he'll also marry non-believers to non-believers. Uh, but the one marriage that he won't conduct is a marriage between a believer and a non-believer. And I think this is how the rationale goes, is that uh, when there's unity in Christ, then uh, he can officiate uh, between a Christian and a Christian. And when it's on a secular basis, he's just performing a social contract between two non-believing people without emphasizing the spiritual unity of that couple because there is no foundation for unity for them apart uh, outside of Christ. Um, but what he uh, doesn't do is he sees a believer and a non-believer. And then uh, I, I think just uh, from a biblical basis and even from a, a deeply philosophical idea, he doesn't see compatibility between them possible because the worldviews are so different. And I think ultimately he's also being biblical in that, in, in that he won't allow unequally yoked relationships to to be uh, finalized in marriage so that's what i have observed and i agree with a lot of his reasoning i i believe that um uh, it's not just for a utilitarian sake that oh if you marry a non-believer or if you if you're a non-believer and you marry a believer that your worldviews are going to be so different that you're going to be fighting every day it's not just because of that kind of consequentialist argument. Uh, ultimately, uh, what we see is what God recognized as the pattern of marriage is one man and one woman in a covenant relationship bound to each other uh, by God's blessing and ordination uh, that leads to fleshly and spiritual unity that shows uh, Christ and the church and the relationship between them. And that's what ultimately the meaning of original marriage was. And that's why I think um, I would take the same position as that pastor as well. Mm. And the unequally yoked, I think that we keep referencing is from Second Corinthians yes. 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Anyone more want to expand on this in terms of Christian, can Christians date non-believers? And how about, uh, I'd love to hear from the family, uh, family discipleship perspective on this one because I think there are justifications that people may say, I'm going to date this person so that they can come to faith, that they see this as an assurance of the mission field and they use family as a place um, because I'm going to yoke with this person on a marital level, I can bring this person to faith. How would you respond to that, John, in terms of just pastorally? I think priorities would be a good place to start. I think that that person, if it's, you know, if that person is not a Christian, the priority is not a romantic relationship between you and that person, but it's a non-existing relationship that they absolutely need uh, with Jesus Christ. Um, and another thing about dating, and hopefully this ties into your question too, is that as um, there's this like this phrase uh, within politics where you leave your faith at the door. But the problem with that is that faith is like so intricately important to who you are. And we cannot keep our faith outside uh, at home, at the door, leave it at the door when we are talking about dating. Because a relationship is about connecting all of ourselves to another and then if that's the case and our spiritual aspect is inconceivably significant um, and at the very core of who we are um, as Christians, uh, God has designed us for him and himself. And so, you know, dating, you know, we, we can talk about it very philosophically and whatnot, but it's also about love. It's also about love. And that requires uh, same mind, same heart, same vision uh, that we have in our ultimate primary source, which is God himself. 
And to be careful, especially for those, uh, there might be some of the members who are listening to this who are married to, uh, who ended up, who resulted in marrying a non-believer. How can we, okay, are there any words we can say to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recognize a lot of people uh, do uh, marry non-believers. And a lot of times, uh, God has used that for his good, and he brought about the salvation of the other person. And so that's a wonderful testimony of how faithful and how present God is in, in uh, within that family. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that it is a prescriptive norm uh, that, that, that we should base our uh, models upon, uh, that we should strive for in our, uh, in our dating relationships. Um, but how can we, you know, um, encourage and comfort those people is that ultimately if you are Christian, if you yourself are Christian, uh, God is utilizing and God is strengthening and God is sanctifying uh, you and everyone that you're in contact with uh, to be exposed to the gospel, to know Jesus Christ. And so uh, the decision that you made, uh, it, is, it is not something that uh, is destroying you, uh, especially if there's listeners amongst our congregation where they're going through a really tough life and they're blaming it on, let's say, the incompatibility of their faith. And they're like, you know, why did this marriage happen? Why did God allow this to happen? Uh, I would really encourage you, um, God... Uh, still calls you his son or daughter and he has uh, a plan for you even in the midst of this and it will result in good uh, for the family and for uh, the local community you are a part of and so uh, find faith and trust in christ as you're going through and experiencing the incompatibilities uh, may it amplify and magnify christ um, even by by contrast and in doing so, I know that God will work in that family as you pray for the salvation of those around you. Mm. I'm sure, is dating a big topic, especially with college ministry? Is that a big top conversation that people may bring up uh, in, in Sojourn? Uh, not really. Um, Interesting. Yeah, not really. They don't really not talk about really. it. It's almost... So secretly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe secretly. Um, yeah, I think... Um, I mean, I've given like a seminar to like at a men's retreat um, that I went to um, recently or brothers retreat, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but typically they they seem to, at, at least within KCPC, they seem to have a just a general sense of idea of what should be expected from the. I think that's the thing with our church is that I think a lot of people know in their minds uh, in their knowledge wise, like, hey, what's the proper thing to do? What's the right thing to do? But what I've noticed and, you know, college students, a lot of it is they understand, they know, but it's what they practice and what they truly want is really not consistent with what they understand. Mm-hmm. And so even when I give these seminars, they're like, oh, yeah, amen. I agree. We agree. But what they practice is completely opposite and different so it's not I'm talking about yeah yeah and so I think yeah I think I think our you know I I think that's that's how it is for um just yeah even with our church in general is that we um we talk a lot about truth good preaching solid teaching and all that but it's the the practices the application that I don't know seems very weak Mm-hmm. Reminds me of uh, Romans five, uh, seven. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very th- thing I hate, thing I do, I, I hate. <laughs> I mean, uh, just a fun uh, 
fact about uh, soons uh, in our church. Uh, whenever you apply to a soon here, you'll see a, a list of options, and you'll see in terms of demographics, you know, mixed soons, married soon, single soon, and then we have men's only and women's uh, only. And what's really funny is there's a lot of people, young women, who prefer women's only. But I've never seen a man write down men only group. <laughs> and so I think underlying uh, the, the DNA of any church is that there are people uh, who are thinking of dating your relationships as uh, one of the reasons that they stick with the church often. And it's not something that we want to blast because, you know, we really want to help, help encourage young men and w young women to find uh, a good spouse. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, that's one thing that I really want to uh, talk about later on is that. Uh, I really want to eradicate the sense of like secrecy or shame associated with you know pursuing someone in church because it's definitely something to be, I think, uh, celebrated and, and 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 talked about more often, so that more people are informed with good information, good pastoral advice, and a community that can celebrate intimate decisions like that. So, yeah. Uh, and I, I definitely want to bring this up, especially from a youth perspective, but not necessarily youth perspective because our parents, uh, they're going to be parents with teenagers soon. What do you think about teenage dating? When parents allow for teenage dating, what's your take on that? Well, ex experience-wise, I guess none of us are there yet. Uh, none of our children are teenagers yet. Um, I do understand that there is kind of an impulse to demonstrate trust towards your children by allowing them to make meaningful decisions on uh, about things like who they're going to date. Um, but at the same time, I would also uh, think that we would have to engage in a conversation with our children to at least know whether they have the foundation to make good decisions. And so if their dating practices are informed by, you know, high school prom culture or is informed by, uh, you know, TikTok and the sexual preferences, you know, in, in social, uh, social media, uh, then I think it is kind of up to the parents to engage in a dialogue where the children are disclosing why they're choosing uh, the person. And so I think the focus is not focusing on the person himself that they've decided to date, but it's the rationality, the, the reason, and the biblical, the biblical nature of how they're pursuing that person, which is ultimately what parents need to kind of focus on. And so I do see pros and cons. I mean, open communication uh, is so, so necessary in these times. And not being too controlling over your children's uh, dating could be something that, in a consequentialist perspective, might hurt them in the end. Uh, but that's still a, a question that I'd have to personally juggle. Like, would it be worth even um, to my children uh, not trusting them too much and being more intimately involved? Or do I really trust them to God and, and back away? I think that's a question that every family has to answer based upon uh, their walk with Christ. Here's a quote by Vodi Bakum on, on this topic, and I'd love to hear your engagement with this, uh, what he shares. It's a bit long, but it's very good. Modern American dating is no more than glorified divorce practice. Young people are learning how to give themselves away in exclusive, romantic, highly committed, at times sexual relationships, only to break it up and do it all over again. God never intended for his kids to live like this. And instead of stepping in and doing something, many Christian parents simply view these types of relationships as a normal and necessary part of growing up. Unless your child is wiser than Solomon, stronger than Samson, and more godly than David, all of whom sin sexually, they are susceptible to sexual sin, and these pre premature relationships serve as open invitations. Do you want to know why I got married? Here's the deal. 
the wisest man in the Bible, the strongest man in the Bible, and the godliest man in the Bible all fell into sexual sin. For me to stay engaged to Bridget, which is his wife, from the time I was a sophomore until I graduated from college, was for me to expect myself to be wiser than Solomon, stronger than Samson, and more godly than David, and I was neither. So we got married. So what's, what, what, what's your... Uh... So yeah, let's go uh, discuss what Vodi said and also just on the larger topic of children dating or teens dating. I think those are going to be very, in our, in our minds, very easy to conceptualize. Teenagers shouldn't date or they should date. And so they should date in college or what have you. But the fact of the matter is, is that dating is going to require a lot of maturity out of both parties. And that's why I would say those who are like kids or immature or kid-like should not be in a relationship. And because, as Vodi has mentioned, by its very nature, dating is very experimental. There is no covenant within dating. So someone can just up and leave. And as they up and leave, or even worse, they just stay and they start to hurt you in various different ways or mislead you in uh, all sorts of just different ways. Uh, There's a lot of emotional investment, even though there's little commitment in the relationship. And so it can be, though a good thing, if it leads to marriage, it can also be a very dangerous thing. So... Uh, In my recommendation, dating does work best uh, between two responsible people in Christ. Now, what about children uh, or teenagers who are curious and interested about dating? And so you as a parent, you know, it's just really hard to uh, combat that kind of pressure. I would say communication, communication, communication. I would ask, what is your communication like with your child? The one thing about Vodi's uh, you know, comment um, is that it could tempt or even convince a parent to just simply say no, no, don't do it. And uh, just no discussion, no conversation, no value in what dating could be, no glorious image of what it could be. And so the simple answer is no. But the fact of the matter is, is that children, when you say no to them, they don't have a good grasp of what yes looks like. They don't have a greater, grander biblical vision of what a relationship looks like. And this is where parenting comes in. Parents have not done their full job simply by saying no to a child, but they have shown what God has said yes to and why that is so much more beautiful. So I think in a Christ-centered manner where we do all things for the glory of God, whether we're eating or drinking, including dating, it can be very, very beautiful. Um, and so this is, is kind of the things that we do need to teach. And the reason why we, you know, just going back to the unequally yoked part, uh, when you fall in love with Jesus, you begin to realize all other appetites have been ruined uh, because he is so, so good. Now, if, um, if that is the case for you, you would want to find somebody who has the same heart as you, who has seen and tasted that the Lord is good and so that both of you can be captivated not only by one another's physical beauties or personality traits, but the redeeming Savior, Jesus Christ, together. And that is what love, uh, that, that is what really protects the love and whatnot. Um, let's see, another thing, uh, how, we, how can we guide our um, children to date properly? 
husband and wife, I encourage you to love one another in Jesus Christ. Be the model, be the example that the world is not showing. So show that sacrificial love. Uh, Let the husband lead over his family in submission to Christ. Let the wife honor her husband as the church honors uh, Christ Jesus. And you know, really reenact the gospel uh, and really winsomely, charmingly win over the imagination and the hearts of your teenagers. And, you know, part of having a a dynamic conversation with your child is not just simply saying no (laughs) or yes, no. Uh, Instead, ask, ask questions. What is it about dating that you want so badly about? What do you think dating is? And what do you think mommy and daddy are doing? Because mommy and daddy are dating all the time um, in this covenantal relationship. And marriage is so, so good. And so, uh, yeah, I, there's so much more to say. Um, but that's at least one way to start the conversation. That's really good. You should write a book. What does yes look like? What does yes look like? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, speaking of uh, yes and no, I highly encourage parents and college students, young adults, everyone to understand this key term boundaries um, that God has given us an example of what boundaries look like in creation, relationships, uh, where boundaries does two things. One, it defines who we are in the relationship and it also protects us in the relationship because some people have a really difficult time being in a relationship where they have, where you see dynamics of abuse in some regards because they don't understand fully what God-given boundaries look like to them. Yeah. And yeah, I think for the majority of our conversation, I would love to talk about what are those boundaries? What are some healthy things that we can share to our listeners and just having a conversation here? What are some things that we can share uh, practically of what biblical dating uh, can look like? And so anyone want to start on that? I always half jokingly say to my college students, uh, you are celibate until you are married, <laughs> which means that until you're married, you're not married. <laughs> That's right. Um, but um, Right. Technically, you're single. So right. Technically, biblically. you are uh, from God's point of view, yeah. you are single. And so in the sense that, yeah, act as a single person, really focusing on God, focusing on your relationship with the Lord and, you know, get involved with things outside of the relationship as well. Um, and so um, so half-jokingly, I say, yeah, focus on God, focus on Christ um, ultimately um, until you get married. Yeah. You know, just to uh, piggyback off of that, you know, in terms of boundaries, yes, I, I 100% agree with uh, what uh, John has just shared uh, because well, oftentimes what's so tragic and common is that sometimes the boyfriend acts like the husband. Sometimes the girlfriend acts like the wife uh, and they start to enjoy privileges and rights that only belong in the context of marriage. And those kinds of boundaries, once they start to blur, there's a lot of emotional, unintentional perhaps, in, in the best case, emotional manipulation, expectation, false expectations that are placed upon one another and the relationships really becomes toxic in some regards. For example... Like cohabitation. Cohabitation would be another one uh, where statistics show that cohabitation does not secure a brighter and 
brighter and more beautiful Christ-centered honoring uh, 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 marriage, right. for example. And premarital sex as well, I believe. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. It, and it doesn't really, if we're also thinking about missional, uh, being missional here, as Christians, as single Christians, um, we are not actually benefiting our mission by cohabitating because it ruins our testimony. Because the natural inclination and the natural thought is is that there is premarital sex. I mean, um, one thing I'm kind of getting like uh, nervous about as I talk about the practical side is that uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of Christians, uh, like might cohabit or they might, you know, uh, engage in premarital sex. Uh, uh, and some Christians, you know, uh, their main method of meeting the person of the opposite gender is at a club. And uh, there's a lot of experiences like that. And uh, oftentimes they'll also have their own boundaries because it comes from some kind of cultural remnant of Christianity. And so like, I, I remember uh, there was a person who said, you know, uh, you know, even though we met at a club and even though, you know, we're dating like this, um, I do have one uh, standard is that I'm not going to interracially marry. And uh, there's remnants of their parents speaking into their life uh, like that. And what I don't want all of our young adults to have is, or anyone who's, who's dating, is to end up with a arbitrary list of do's and don'ts uh, that have no connection to their theology. Um, so what I think what I most like want to see in our young adults is not a list of do's and don'ts, even though there are wise guidelines, but basically it's Romans you know, 1 and 2, living as a living sacrifice, and then what happens after that is uh, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed uh, in your mind, uh, the transformation of the mind leading to discerning the will of God in every circumstance so that you don't have to rely upon a formula or a paradigm, but you're practicing walking with the Holy Spirit and then making accurate judgment calls in whatever situation. And I think that's where um, the theology is not connected to the practical. Like even though I, I know hardcore about you know Reformed theology and I know about you know presuppositional even. Um, uh, even in such scenarios, a lot of people make a lot of you know wrong decisions in terms of dating. And I think what needs to happen is the transformation of the mind that helps you apply truth to every situation. And that's what I would you know really ask of all of our young adults is to um, have a transformed mind, not a set of rules. What are some healthy things that uh, I can have? Uh, in my dating, so I, we talk we talk about accountability. We can talk about community. Mm-hmm. But what does that look like? I mean, maybe we expand on a little bit more, particularly within our context. Mm. And so, what are some healthy things that we can share to our people if they are going to engage in dating? Uh, I I often. <laughs> I, I often pretend to be a little angry when uh, someone comes to me and says, is this person r- the right one? Because uh, then I say, you know, uh, I, I wanted you to approach me prior to the question, because once you have the question, you're already on the hook and you're, you know, you're, you're wanting to date that person anyway. And usually it's because they want the pastor's consent that they're, uh, that they're there in the first place. And so what I really appreciate are people who are so intentional that they're looking for biblical advice from friends and family and their pastors and the Christian community in large uh, by asking questions like, you know, what does dating look like? You know, what kind of person should I look for? Uh, What do you observe about me uh, that could be a hindrance to a good marriage? And there's people who are actively looking at themselves, how they make decisions, and they share that openly before uh, laser focusing on a person or, or a situation. And so I would say utilize your community by having uh, conversations that not just surround the act of dating, 
but the peripheral issues that that form the foundation of you know who you are and how you should communicate with other people and a really beautiful instance is i think when two friends have observed each other in a in a church community and they see each other serving as leaders they've talked to each other about qt they've talked to each other about faith without any of the uh, romantic en entanglement and they know the community's um, understanding of that couple that they they're mutually blessed by their mutual friends and it's within that uh, network of a saved community uh, that I think some of the best friendships leading to dating happens. And so I would really encourage you, please utilize your pastors, please utilize your friends. I know dating could be hard to talk about in a Korean church, um, but it's something that, you know, uh, I believe is highly recommended is, you know, being open about that, about your friendships and dating could really re lead to transparency that leads to honoring God and benefiting the community. And sometimes the best testimony that a church has is a couple that has dated well and married well, and they're now coaching uh, other young men and women about uh, how God led them together. And that's a, such a beautiful thing that even a pastor can't do that so well. Um, and so please utilize your community in, in every every way possible. Yeah. And I, I also have some uh, a fun story. Um, when I was in middle school, there was a rare period in my life where I lived with um, my parents and um, my, my dad did kendo with me, like a kendo. So it's like, um, uh, you know, you wear a Japanese, like a, a clothing, and you, you know, swing a bamboo stick. <laughs> and we did that six o'clock in the morning. And there was a girl there uh, that was, you know, very athletic, you know, pretty uh, interesting in my eyes. And my dad noticed that I was observing her. And uh, my dad just casually started a conversation. And uh, the three months that I went to that uh, kendo academy, uh, most of the conversations were about, you know, romantic relationships. And he was asking me, um, you know, hey, uh, you know, she, I noticed she's very athletic. And then he started saying, you know, uh, being very athletic in that sense has so many ways to glorify God. And I know that, you know, her positivity can really be something that, you know, leads people to Christ. And uh, he was just sharing on his observations of the same person I was kind of interested in. Um, but by doing so, by my dad talking about that situation, uh, I just had a window and a glimpse into how my dad processed uh, relationships like that. And so another practical tip might be if you have like teenage children or younger children is, you know, start talking about it when it's uh, before uh, it's a serious issue. Like st start talking about the friendships that your children have and start talking about how they process uh, the worldviews of other people. And just by you talking, they get a glimpse into how you think even before you turn that into a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, so um, another practical tip would be family involvement, not just community involvement, uh, through uh, pretty consistent dialogue, uh, fun dialogue. Um, but it really remains. I mean, it still sticks. I remember what my dad said such a long time ago. Yeah. For the person that is single and would like to be in a relationship, what are some preparations that you can take? I would say for everyone, whether you're single or in a relationship, if you're married, please understand that we would have zero concept of what it means to love and be loved if it wasn't for the love God has shown us. I know that sounds really like uh, preachy, but we have to understand where love comes from. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, 
because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so we have to ask ourselves questions first with our relationship, our primary fundamental relationship that we have with God. So you could ask yourself the following, how is your relationship with God these days? Are you inseparable? Uh, do you stay in fairly regular contact with God? Do you get together uh, with God? Do you feel like you're drifting apart? And if you are drifting apart, there is an old wise saying, if you feel distant from God, guess which one of you moved? It wasn't God, it was you. And so please um, uh, draw closer to him, strengthen your relationship with uh, the Lord. And as you do so, one of the things um, that you begin to realize is that there are so many fundamental relationships like friendship, uh, family, relationships with the church, where you begin to find out what it means to be a woman of God, a man of God. And at the end of that result is that you become like Christ, more like Christ and what that's really beneficial for you because you become that much more attractive. I want to echo that as well. A.W. Tozer, um, he talks about God being the highest concept ever of a society. And there's questions that you can ask. If you want to see how a society conducts warfare, look at the nature of their God. If you want to see how a society loves one another, look at the nature of their God. And so like he talks about you know, cultures like uh, Assyrians in the ancient days uh, when they served Molech. Because their god was vicious, the Assyrians became known as one of the most vicious uh, people who created torture tactics. Um, and that was studied by the FBI later on. Uh, Baal worship was so interesting that uh, like the people who served Baal was so lascivious that that's where polyamorous tendencies always go back to tracking uh, Baal worship. And so that, that's, that's the thing. If you want to see how Christians should love, um, then if you look at the love of God, that would be your glass ceiling. And to the degree that God's love is perfect, then your love has something to model afterwards. Yeah, I, I, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance and for it, from it will flow the springs of life. And I think, I think when, when dating, we can get so drunk with our emotions and our hearts can really be just, everything can feel so right. And I think we've all known those people when they're dating, they think they're in another category because everything's working out well and everything's working out right. But I think one of the key things to really understand is that the heart needs to have vigilance all the time. And I think on a practical level, what that looks like is having uh, really, really, and this is where friendship can really uh, come into such great benefit for the Christian where you have friends who aren't just necessarily echo chambers and just uh, cheerleaders, but friends who can really challenge uh, and help you see things that may not be visible in that moment when you are dating, when the emotions are really high. And uh, yeah, I think one of the things that I think what Pastor David was talking about is when dating is in darkness, uh, that's where sin can really just brew and uh, really grow. And right before the Proverbs uh, 4 as well, it says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so, yeah, I think more transparency and more uh, bringing more things into light in a wise way. Uh, again, it's not to publicly make your you know, public uh, relationship on like you have to show everything that you do, but having practical people relation relationally in your life that they can question you, they can ask you and prayerfully speak to you, whether uh, especially when it comes to difficult topics 
and uh and, and that's a that's a friend you can really know who loves you and who is really uh reaching out for your good and for your benefit in the, in faith and one thing i really want to encourage our young adults um, or anyone pursuing a dating relationship is um don't make the person you're you're dating uh into your messiah uh because there's such sometimes a a, a desperation amongst people that want to date today as if the person that they're dating is going to make everything good um, that the loneliness that they feel that the frustration that they feel as society things like that would somehow be quenched by a a loving presence in their life uh, through the form of a spouse or a, a romantic interest and uh, that, that that's totally wrong uh, because uh, usually the pattern i see is that singles who have learned how to enjoy christ uh, usually become couples who know how to enjoy Christ in the midst of their marriage and people who have been dissatisfied, utterly dissatisfied at themselves usually end up also being dissatisfied in the midst of their marriage as well and so please don't see your partner as your Messiah uh, that person is not sufficient or righteous or holy enough to meet all your needs uh, only Christ can do that and that brings a lot of um, humility into the dating relationship is that both of us are broken people who can only turn to Christ in the midst of um, any future needs that the other person seems not to meet in my life. Finally, uh, this might, uh, what is our take on uh, these apps for biblical dating, or not biblical dating, <laughs> what is your take on these dating apps? Mm. Or is it okay for Christians to use it? And what are some practical things we could share with our, our Christians? I mean, it, so it's hard to say like a moral, uh, like a like a morally binding statement. Tinder is bad, and so don't meet people on Tinder. But there are things that you should know that a lot of dating apps have distinct purposes. And if you go to Tinder, you'll meet a certain. You'll don't expect to find the type of like Christian spouse you're looking for. You'll probably be exposed to a lot more people with different purposes and interests. And that's why like um there's more uh, uh more. Christian apps as well, where they're uh, trying to find uh, Christian spouses, and there's other dating apps where they're looking for something totally different, and so the nature and the purpose of the app will probably determine the type of people you get exposure to through that app, and so be wise about that. Um, we're not saying that you know all, uh, all you know ways of um, you know meeting people and dating people online are corrupted, um, but there are specific purposes behind each app that. You should be aware about and expect to find people who are interested in the same thing. Well, thank you for the conversation, brothers. And I hope that was engaging and encouraging for all of us here. If you have any questions, particularly on what we talked about, we are more than happy to receive your emails and would love to engage with you. And so please email podcast at kcpc.org. If you felt like we have missed something or if you would love to hear something more emphasized, yeah, please send an email and we would love to uh, really hear from you. Next week, we're going to be talking about how to interpret scripture. And so sharing in terms of how uh, we can give practical uh, guidelines and uh, a framework in understanding how to read our scripture that we try to do faithfully on a daily basis, but it's so difficult. Uh, I, I hope that podcast will be uh, really enriching and equipping for you. Well, Pastor David, can you pray for us? And then we'll conclude our time. Sure, let's pray. Uh, Father, when we became disconnected uh, to you, uh, from you, um, because of our sin, uh, Father, we recognize that you stepped into our lives and you brought 
uh, light and you brought illumination and you brought warmth and intimacy into an existentially lonely life, Father. And that is the foundation of our satisfaction that we pursue, even in the midst of diligently pursuing romantic relationships through dating. Uh, Father, I pray that all of our, our church, um, all of the members of this local body would practice uh, wise and sanctified and uh, dating through a a transformed mind uh, that has tasted so much of your word and so much of your truth that instinctively through the spirit, through the regeneration of the spirit, that they know uh, in the most intricate details how to love you and how to love uh, the person that they're pursuing in a wise and Christ-honoring manner. And when our church exercises discretion and wisdom in the most intricate details of our lives like this, Father, I know uh, that church will be so blessed that KCPC will be um, filled with people who have given their best to you and have held back on, on pursuing their flesh in, in the most uh, important areas of, of their life. How much more so uh, will our church make good decisions in every other area of our lives? So, Father, we, we want to honor you in our relationships. Uh, would you please uh, show us and manifest yourself uh, the triune love that you have amongst the Godhead, uh, that we would be, uh, to behold and, and uh, be awed uh, into loving one another well and biblically. Uh, we pray for all those people that are also in a lonely place right now. Uh, Father, may they drink more deeply from you at this time, uh, where circumstances keep them from getting engaged or getting married or, getting, uh, or dating. Uh, Father, we ask that you would fill their hearts so much that they know how to pursue you even in the midst of a family and a marriage. Um, and I pray that this would be uh, a sobering and yet wonderful experience that teaches them that you are the lover of their soul. Uh, Father, we lift up KCPC to you. We lift up um, uh, the brothers here in this room. Uh, would you be glorified in all of us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that concludes our time and we thank you for tuning in. Please email any questions or feedback at podcast at kcpc.org. We would love to hear how you have been encouraged and blessed. Until next time, bye.